If you're visiting today, we're in the midst of a sermon series called Journey to Easter, and we're sort of walking with Jesus in the last weeks of His life as He was heading towards Jerusalem and, of course, to the cross and Easter morning. And in the process, we're looking at some of the events that happen along that way. And because there's so much crammed into the final week, we have to jump ahead this week into something that happened during the final week. We always hear from children this phrase, don't we? I'll do it myself. And a lot of times as adults, as parents, we sort of sit there and shake our head and say, yeah, watch how this goes. Or we, of course, try and stop them, and then they get frustrated and angry with us because we won't let them do it themselves, even though we know what the outcome is going to be of that whole process so often. We would like to tell ourselves that... um, We grow out of that, don't we? I'm not so sure we do, do we? In fact, as I was reflecting on that this week, working on the sermon, I think in some ways I'm afraid we get worse at it. As we become stronger, as we become older, as we have more resources, more knowledge, more skills, all of those things feed into that very attitude saying, I can do it myself. And I'm not sure we get wiser. We may get more foolish about that whole issue. Today we want to look at something that happened with Peter as an example of this. And he was probably the poster child. If we want to look at somebody who says, I'll do it myself. We've seen a couple examples of that. They're really well known. The one we're going to look at today is less well known. But we've already seen how Peter has that tendency to just jump in and do it himself. He'll take charge. He'll take control. Probably one of the most well-known is in Matthew 16, where Jesus is preparing the disciples, and he says, now we're going to go to Jerusalem, and this is going to happen to me, and I'm going to die. And Peter says, no, no, we're not going to let this happen. And what Jesus has to say to him, get thee behind me, Satan. You have in mind the things of man, not of God. Peter was rushing ahead. Probably the other time that happens, it happens during this final week, when again Jesus is announcing what's going to happen to him and explaining to the disciples to prepare them, and and he says, everybody's going to run away and abandon me. And of course, we all know Peter, who loudly says, not me. All of these other guys may run away, but you can count on me, Jesus. And of course, we know how that goes for him. He runs away. Peter was very confident that he had it all together, but that self-confidence of Peter's was in some ways a mistake. Um, The event we're going to read in in Luke 22 happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. On Thursday night or Friday morning, we're not sure the actual time, we just know it was during the night. Remember what had happened on Thursday Jesus had gotten together in the upper room with all the disciples, celebrated the Passover. He'd washed their feet. He'd had this long prayer for them in John 17, his sort of last prayer for the disciples. And then for his own sake, he went out to the Mount of Olives. We call it the Garden of Gethsemane. You really should picture an apple orchard with a bunch of really old trees that are really big and really gnarly. And that was an olive orchard, the Mount of Olives. But it's quiet, and it's out of the city, and he goes there because he needs to talk to God. And he has that talk with God, not my will, but yours be done. 
And then the soldiers come. With Judas at the head of this mob and, and a bunch of the guards from the temple, and they come to arrest Jesus. And in Luke 22, we read, when Jesus' followers saw what was going on, what, what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Do you want us to fight? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. If you read the story in John 18, we learn that his name was Peter. And we even learn the name of the temple guard, Malchus. Now I want you to notice what the disciples are doing and what Peter's doing. The disciples ask a legitimate question. They don't rush ahead. They just turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to fight or not? They clearly had swords, which I think was sort of interesting. I think most of us in our picture of the disciples walking around their long robes don't picture them with a sword belted on. But they say right here, do you want us to use our swords? They're doing the appropriate thing and saying, God, what do you want us to do? Peter, uh-uh. He's already got his sword out. He doesn't wait for the answer. He just cuts off the high priest, uh, the servant of the high priest's ear and is ready to fight and defend Jesus. Now, I think we shouldn't be too surprised at Peter in doing this. One, just a few hours ago, he has had that whole discussion with Jesus about everybody else may abandon you, but I'm not going to abandon you. So in a sense, being a guy, he's made his big talk. And now it's down to the wire, and he's going to be there for Jesus. He has vowed to do that, and he whips out his sword. But there's also a sense, just like when he said to Jesus, don't die, you can't do this, Peter was confident that he knew what was best. And he knew that Jesus shouldn't die. That they shouldn't allow Jesus to be arrested. That if that happened, that would be a mistake. That would be the wrong thing. And there was no doubt in his mind, he knew what was best, he knew what was right. And so he jumped right in. I have to ask you, have you ever acted like Peter? I have. We rush ahead. We're confident we know what's right. We can do this ourselves. We don't need to wait on anybody. We just jump in. And we know what's right. And in our strength, in our power, in our logic, our mind, we can fix this. And we try to do that. And that's exactly what Peter did. Sometimes we even get mad at God, don't we, when he doesn't seem to cooperate with what we think things should, how, the, how we think things should turn out. We get frustrated. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. That's where Peter was. But I want us to see Jesus' response. Now, I've done something here with your permission. Well, I didn't ask for your permission. I have done something. I have, what I've done is, I'm, you're going to see on the screen, I've put all three Gospels together. And I've listed them for you because this story is recorded in Matthew 26 and Luke 22 and John 18. But each one adds some details. 
And so I've tried to put them together so we can hear what Jesus said in all of it. So if you'll read with me, I don't mean read along, but here's what the blended is. Jesus' response when he sees what Peter's done, stop! No more of this. Put your sword back in its place. Jesus said to them, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will not at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? The first thing Jesus says to Peter and to all the disciples, he answers all their questions, do we fight? And he says, no, this is not the way we're going to handle this. Peter, put your sword away. All of you, put your swords away. Stop. That's not what we're going to do. He even says to Peter, Peter, you're wrong. Not for the first time. You've run ahead. You've assumed something. You think you know what's right and you think you can fix it. And Peter, you've run up the wrong path. You're heading in the wrong direction. I think one of the important verses that we all need to keep in our minds is from Isaiah 55. We've said it a lot. But I think it's one we got to say all the time. In verse 8 there in Isaiah 55, we are warned God's thinking is not our thinking. His ways are not our ways. And while oftentimes we read that Isaiah 55 passage as a promise, and it is, because the other half of that verse is His ways are higher than ours. His thinking, His plans are better than ours. But that Isaiah 55 passage is also a warning. Because if we start assuming that we know what is right, we know what God should do, we know the outcome here, we could be very, very wrong. Because what we're thinking is this is how we would do it. This is what my logic says. This is how I think I can make this happen. And the warning of Isaiah to all of Israel and all of God's people is that often what you think is wrong. And your assumption about the path that God should take you on is in fact the wrong path. That's the warning. The promise is, of course, that God has a different path and it is actually a better path. Trust Him. Wait for Him. Walk that path. That's what Jesus wanted Peter and the disciples to understand. But there's something else that Jesus is saying there to them. Don't you think God can handle this? He says, if, if I needed help here, if this was going to be a battle, honestly, guys, I really don't need you. If this was going to be a battle, I just need you to stand over to the side and watch. Because I can call in 12 legions of angels. I had to do a little research. I wanted to find out just what that is. A legion was a part of the Roman army. It was one of their larger units of battle. Each legion on paper, I thought this was interesting that armies are all the same. On paper, they're supposed to have 6,000 soldiers. They average 5,000 soldiers. So we're going to go with the low number. 12 legions of 5,000 soldiers. So that's 60,000 angels. 
that's why Jesus said, guys, would you just stand aside if this is going to be a fight? I don't need you. Put your swords away. We know enough from the Old Testament that an angel was an awesome being with incredible power. We may make up superheroes. There really are superheroes, and they're called angels. And they have incredible power. And Jesus says, if I need them, I have 60,000 of them at my call. This isn't about a fight. So put your swords away. And if it was a fight, guys, I don't need you. We got this. But it's not a fight. That's not what we're here. And what Jesus wanted them to see, and Jesus has wrestled with it himself. If you read about Gethsemane, we are told that he agonized over God's plan versus his plan to the point that his sweat was as drops of blood. But Jesus ended it by saying, not my plan, but your plan needs to happen tonight. And that's why he says in his final words to the disciples here, before he's taken away, guys, you got to let this happen. Because no matter what you think should happen tonight, no matter how you think this should turn out, God has a different plan. And you got to let God's plan happen. Because it is better than your plan. Even though it may involve pain, even though it's going to involve me being taken off and arrested here and drug away by a mob that is unfair and unjust and everything. This is God's plan. I've accepted it, and you need to accept it. Put your swords away. And the minor detail in all this, Jesus picks up Malchus's ear and puts it back on. I just love that. And we know Malchus's name. And you know my theory on that. How do we know his name? I think he became a Christian. I think he followed Jesus. Wouldn't you? You'd had your ear cut off one minute. I've got to imagine that's pretty bloody. And suddenly this guy walks over and it's back on. Uh, you'd realize that is not your average guy. i got to know more about him. And Jesus put his ear back on. I just love that little detail there. After he's lectured the disciples, he says, stop it. And there's this mob around. I, now, <laughs> I'm sorry, but who are the guys who are going to now handcuff Jesus when they've just seen him capable of putting an ear back on? It's like, whoa. But they do, and they take him away. As we've looked at these sermons, we've tried to learn some lessons along this journey. So that we're not just looking at interesting stories, but from Jesus and these events as he heads towards the cross and his death, we see lessons for us to learn. Lessons, hopefully, like the disciples learned as they were there. As they were there in that olive grove and all this took place. Today I want to summarize the lessons in three words. The first word is different. And the lesson that we need to learn in this story, the lesson Peter needed to learn, is that how God does things is often different from how we do things. We determine how things should turn out. 
what events should happen and what events should not be allowed to happen. And we tell that to God regularly. Jesus did too. That's okay. But after we've been honest with God and after we've discussed with Him how we think things should turn out or what we need to have happen, what we pray for, there is a point just like Jesus and like all disciples, we have to arrive and say, but I understand God. At times you do things differently than I want. Help me accept your plan. That's what Jesus' final prayer was. Not my will, your will, your plan. And that is a huge step of faith to be willing to say to Jesus, to be willing to say to God, I will accept your different plan when it is not what I want. And maybe like Jesus this night, God's plan is going to involve a high cost, some pain, some loss. But will we accept his plan? It's a lesson we need to learn from this story. Because God knew exactly what his, he was doing. And of course, the, the salvation that we have celebrated today, that Jerry talked about, the freedom purchased for us, would not exist had God not done his plan. Even though at the time we said, God, you're crazy. We're so glad he was. He did it differently. And that brings us to the second word, and that is, Trusting that God's ways are better. Whatever that plan may be. And we usually won't see that immediately. I need to warn you about that. Better is a faith word. Because sometimes all we can see is the cost. All we can see is, God, if you walk that path, there's a lot of pain down there. There's loss down there. I don't want to go down there. And that's okay to say that to God, but then in faith we trust Him and we walk down there. In faith that it will be better. Somehow, some way, at some time, it is going to be better. And the only way we can do that is because we have learned that we can trust God's heart. That He loves us that much. That He has paid a high enough price for us. That he is patient with us again and again and again. He has proven beyond a doubt that he is on our side. Our best interest is his interest. And so that helps us believe that following God, trusting him, walking his path, that may not be our path, will be better. But that brings us to that last word, wait. Because at times we're going to have to wait. Because we won't know how it's all going to turn out. Sometimes it's a week. For the disciples it was about a week. Well, not by Thursday night, Friday morning, it's three days. But we can't imagine what they felt like Friday night. When Christ was dead and in their perspective, they'd lost everything. How could it be better? And they had to wait. I can't imagine what Saturday was like for the disciples between Good Friday and not knowing Easter was coming. And unfortunately, sometimes God's plan needs us to wait a lot longer than a couple days. 
Sometimes it can be months. And sometimes, I'm sorry to say, it can be years. And yes, there are even times when God asks us to wait and trust Him that we go to our grave not knowing, why did that happen? But we trust God's heart. And if we ever wonder, can we trust his heart, that's why we have the cross. That's why we take communion every week to remind us, how committed is God to us? Well, Jesus died for us. That's pretty committed. Can I trust him? Will he come through? I can. He has proven that to us. And so we wait. And we talk with God and we ask for his strength. And we trust Him. That He's doing something different, but it is better. And we'll wait to see how He's going to turn that around. I believe that is true for all of us and not just Jesus. And there are times that come into all of our lives, and maybe for some of you today, you're in that time right now. When your life has become a mob in the dark of the night, and you're terrified. And you don't know what to do. And you, you probably have a real good idea of what you wish God would do. And maybe he's not doing what you want. Will you trust him? Will you trust his love and his wisdom? And will you wait on him? And hold on to him. Keep your hand in his hand. Talk to him. But he loves you. And he did not abandon Jesus, and he won't abandon you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus and his life, what he did for us, and the example he gave us, the teaching. And I thank, I'm thankful, Father, that there were disciples like Peter. Because we can all find ourselves in the disciples. They weren't perfect. They made mistakes. They struggled. And so do we. But Jesus was okay with that. Help us understand that. And help us come to you. Help us trust you. To walk with you on your path. Not our path. Your path this week. In your son's name, amen.